You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit LonoCoffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. Today, we're talking about a meaningful game in December. It feels like it's been a while since that's been the case. I visit with ESPN's Nick Wagner, my buddy who covers the 49ers, and provides terrific insight. Why is San Francisco still with an outside shot the postseason, despite a number of key injuries? No Nick Bosa, no Jimmy Garoppolo, no George Kittle, among others. And why is this defense still so effective? You can follow Nick on Twitter at nwagner, N-W-A-G-O-N-E-R, and you can read our work on ESPN.com. Also, if you haven't listened to my Ron Rivera interview, I would suggest doing so. He was very open about his cancer treatments and the path he had to travel. That was the previous podcast I did before this one. Check it out. Before I play my conversation with Nick, just wanted to share a few nuggets of information. There's a lot of optimism in the building building in part because of what the defense has been showing lately. We're not that far removed from Joe Burrow torching them in the first half, though not in the red zone. However, the feeling is that the defense has really started to improve, and I'm not just talking about their stats. It's why the stats are getting there. But what I'm talking about is the front seven and how they're starting to mesh and play this system. So much of it stems from this group getting used to playing a different system and style. One player who has taken off lately is Jonathan Allen. He has played really well, very well against the Steelers. All the linemen are, but Allen was one who was struggling with the change to a one-gap from a two-gap. He had two-gapped his whole life in at, at Alabama in his first several years in the NFL. And, you know, I'm sure you know, but two-gap, you're playing laterally. One-gap, you're getting upfield. That's a simplistic way to look at it, but that's what it is. So he was used to going moving more laterally. If you notice, lately he's been playing a lot of three technique, something he apparently wanted to do and feels like it's made a difference for him. He's allowed to attack that way. Jack Del Rio apparently was receptive to it, and so it's worked. Uh, Allen has done a much better job of getting upfield consistently, and that wasn't happening earlier in the season. There were times you could see him on film. He'd resort to two-gapping. The guy next to him is one-gapping, and what happens? A gap is created. Washington will throw an occasional twist in there with their scheme, sometimes showing a 34 look with three down linemen getting, sweat, or excuse me, getting Allen, Payne, and Tim Settle in the game at the same time with Sweat and Young in a stand-up position. I've seen that in a few times in recent weeks. The linebackers are starting to do a better job of filling their gaps as well. It's not just as simple as, okay, now you have this gap and now you have this one. There's a different mindset that comes with playing, again, laterally versus getting upfield. And the linebackers are playing off that. And they just, I think it took them a while to get to understand where they needed, which, which gaps they needed to fill and when and why. Um, but there is a comfort level developing. And now the linebackers are playing off of the, that front better. You see, for example, Kevin Pierre-Lewis attacking the double teams 
faster against Pittsburgh than he had been. Saw that earlier in the game on one play in particular, and by doing so, it allowed Deron Payne to then win his block because it went from a double team to a one-on-one, and actually both of them were in on the stop. So that's all good stuff for them going forward. And we'll be curious to see how they handle San Francisco's run game. It's a major challenge for them. Pittsburgh run Pittsburgh's run game wasn't very good. The Steelers, the Steelers knew they were, they were dominated. They just said, okay, you're going to dominate us there. We're going to do something else. So, But this game, it's going to be about stopping the run, and we'll see how this group has really been fitting uh, when, we, when we watch them against the 49ers. I do think they're improving. The, the um, excitement is there, the whatever, but we'll get a better feel after this game. Also, rookie end Chase Young continues to make an impact, and his pass rushes have been gradually getting more consistent. One reason, his hip is much, much better. It wasn't until the Cincinnati game that he felt really healthy, according to somebody who knows him really well. Playing healthy, gaining knowledge, that has resulted in better rushes. And it's not about the sack totals. It's about the consistent pressure, and that's what he's been getting. He's also been impressive with his awareness. He snuffed out a few screens against Pittsburgh because of his quick recognition. There are some men who had played here in the past or tackles who never would ever do that, who could never play with that kind of awareness but that's what they've got with Young. Young has started started to attack tackles better, and this is something I've talked about in here before, but you pick, they wanted him to pick half of the body, attack that initially, so he's not so square all the time going into these guys. And when he was square going into them, you'd see his legs get stopped. You're not seeing that anymore. You're seeing him get better pressure. That, coupled with his improved health, that's why he's feeling good about the direction he is headed, and they feel great about it as well. I don't know what's going to happen with Antonio Gibson, but I do know that turf toe is a bad injury for a running back. It impacts their ability to plant and cut, and that pretty much is what he needs to do. That means Peyton Barber will get the bulk of the carries. There's at least a feeling that while he's not Gibson, he can be more effective than we've seen now that he'll get more chances on first and second down and not just short yardage. They feel he has good vision. He's he's just not explosive, so we'll see. I am skeptical. He, you know, we'll see. It doesn't help that San Francisco has a good run defense. But what they need, what they just need from him, is to get what's available. Get three to four yards on first down. Stay ahead of the chains. I know there are some people there who'd like to see J.D. McKissick get more carries too. He's the one who makes guys miss. There's been a lot of talk about the building blocks and a lot of the players brought in last year. Or in the last year. I've been surprised that Ron Rivera has not really given the scouting department more credit when he talks about some of these moves. But I will. They've done a good job for a few years. Kyle Smith does not make final decisions on who they sign or don't sign or, or really even who they draft or don't draft. He and his group just compile scouting reports and handle the process. And sometimes if you ask, you know, in this case, it's Rivera with the, with the final call based on this info. It was a good process last offseason and it's paying dividends now. Washington would be wise to keep this setup in place. The reason Washington has a good young talent base is in large part because of the scouting department. It's J.D. McKissick, Logan Thomas, Ronald Darby. Those guys have helped. Those linemen have helped. Wes Schweitzer, Cornelius Lucas. They're not great. They, you know, Maybe they shouldn't even be starting, but they're working out okay, and, they're, and Washington's surviving despite that. But I think part of it is their experience. They, these guys have started games before, and they haven't had backups like this in years past. That's a credit to the scouting department as well as the coaches. I feel like the process worked well. 
you know, with Darby, everybody knew he was talented. So, you know, obviously that wasn't a big question there. He needed to stay healthy. But he's been good. The other two, uh, McKissick and Tomics, required good knowledge and instincts. I know some in Washington's scouting department have liked McKissick for a long time. Regardless, it wasn't, you know, with, with Logan Thomas, Ron Rivera has credited Pete Hayner a lot for, you know, him saying how well he could play. And I, I think that's, that's great and appropriate. But I also think that scouting department played a role in that too because it's usually not just a one guy saying, oh, I like this guy because we faced him here and he did this. It's a scouting. It's, everything starts with the scouting department, the recommendations they make, or at least the reports they file, and, and the, again, the recommendations. Um, and then the coaches you know, can help with that, with what they see. And I think there needs to be a coordination with scouting department and coaches working in sync because when you start working in sync, now you have a chance to get some guys who are good. Then the scouting department knows who are what kind of guys are they looking for. Now we can go get those. So that's what starts to happen. So they have a good setup in place. Washington can't afford to screw that one up. Anyway, that's it for me. After this break, I'll be back to talk about Sunday's game with ESPN's Nick Wagner, who covers the 49ers. Why are they still dangerous? You've heard me talking about Lone Oak Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lone Oak Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, LoneOakCoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right, put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E, OAKCoffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with ESPN's Nick Wagner. All right, Nick. Now, this is, as we were just talking just off the air before we came on, this is your third time appearing on this podcast. How has it changed your life? I mean, of the great honors of my life, I mean, there was the time, you know, there's my Pulitzer, of course. And no, I know <laughs> this is, no, this is way up there, John. I mean, I, I've done, a, I've done a lot in, in a 17 year career of doing this, but three times, I mean, once, okay. Second time, maybe a bit of an accident, but third time, it's almost like you like me almost, <laughs> almost. I mean, it's Super Bowl coverage, John Kime report. It's got a way up there close to it. So. Absolutely. Anyways. Yeah. I mean, if we get, the, if we get the time for my name's going on the marquee on the John Kime report, <laughs> it's so. John Kime report with Nick <laughs> Wagner. That's right. Well, anyway, and I mean, in addition to that, we're sitting here talking about a matchup that nobody would have thought in terms of quarterbacks, Nick Mullins versus Alex Smith. <laughs> it's this the one we've all been wanting to ex- see. Is it not? Right. What, you know, so when you, What's going on with the Niners? I mean, I know, is it is it just about the injuries? I mean, I don't think any team has been as devastated as they have been. Right. Yeah. It's, How are know, they surviving? 
by by the skin of their teeth. You know, they're barely hanging on. And and honestly, John, I, I know you and I do this for a living, and and fans do it. Everybody does it, and I get it. It's one of those things where you could sit here and you could go deep dive into stuff. Why are things going the way that they are? And you could dig in as much as you want, find all the little details. At the end of the day, the 49ers have played most of this season without without seven of their 10 best players and 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 many other guys who are, are role players. I mean, they've been just absolutely decimated by injuries. And sometimes the obvious answer is obvious for a reason. And that is their situation right now where you've got Jimmy Garoppolo, George Kittle, Nick Bosa. I would argue Kittle and Bosa are your two best players, one on each side of the ball. You haven't had either of them for almost the entire season. Uh, you know, you, you go down those D Ford, they traded DeForest Buckner, which that one's on them, but the injuries have just been overwhelming. I've never seen anything like it in 17 years covering the league. And and quite frankly, it is the reason that they're in the situation that they're in. And the fact that they're five and seven is, is really a tribute to the coaching staff that's been able to kind of pull this together and at least keep them competitive because as crazy as it sounds, we're sitting here right now. They're still only a game out of the seventh, the seventh position in, in the NFC playoffs. So how are they doing this? That's what, you know, like how are I, most teams are going to cripple under this kind of stuff. And I know like this team would have been really good. So maybe in some ways they are, but like the fact that they're five and seven, I'm amazed by that. How are they still competitive? Yeah, it's, it's a combination of a few things. And, and some of it is they've, they've gotten a little more healthy here lately. So you've got Debo Samuel back, Raheem Mostert's back, Richard Sherman. So you're getting some guys back, but at the end of the day, they're still missing, I think, their biggest pieces. And so right. what you're seeing a lot is, is first of all, I, I mentioned coaching a minute ago. It makes a huge difference. I, I know we've talked about it on your, on this podcast before, but Kyle Shanahan, it's not just him, but his entire staff finding ways to win. Uh, what you're seeing that's really interesting to me, John, is that they are really tough out for teams where there's some familiarity. Like they've given the Rams fits. They beat the Rams four times in a row, including twice this year. And, and I think that that familiarity has really worked to their advantage. But then you see them in a game like Buffalo, a team you, you see once every four years, you don't know much about, and is a good team, is a good team. And Buffalo really handed it to them. So uh, I think those kind of things are, are playing into the mix as well. But I, I really think it is a credit to Kyle Shanahan and his staff that not only have they kept the team uh, you know, on balance just in terms of what they're doing schematically, but the way that they're keeping them motivated through a year that, look, this year has been really tough for everybody, but the 49ers have dealt with injuries. They've had a COVID outbreak, uh, you know, right around that bye week. At one point, they had nine guys on the COVID list. And I'm not excusing that. That's that's on them for, for not, you know, maybe not following protocols and things like that. Uh, they had wildfires at the beginning of the year. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here monitoring air quality every day like I'm Bill Nye, the science guy. I mean, they've had that. Uh, you know, and then, and then, of course, now being relocated, uh, being kicked out of their out of their home stadium. So, They've just been hit by so many different things. And again, I'm not trying to say they've had it worse than anyone else, but uh, I think Jim Harbaugh used to ask your, your guy, Jim Harbaugh used to ask all the time, who's got it better than us. The Niners answer this year would be pretty much everybody. <laughs> pretty much, And that's true. And, you know, going to Arizona and the things, it's not just that they're relocating there. They're basically having to be just going to their rooms and go to practice. There's like, it's, I mean, how tough a situation is it that you're hearing about what they're going through there? Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's everyone assumes like they're just going to go bubble and then be it's going to be like the NBA at Disney World and they can still hang out and play cards and play video games, all that kind of stuff. 
No, they're not doing that. They're not doing a strict bubble. And, and part of the reason for that is, is they're allowing families to come down so guys can be with their families at Christmas and things like that. I know a few players on the team that I've talked to have got Airbnbs and they have girlfriends or wives who are setting up shop in Arizona for, you know, for the rest of the month. And my personal opinion is that they're probably going to end up being there throughout the rest of the season, just the way the numbers are going and kind of all the logistics and all that kind of stuff. But to your overall point, they are dealing with a situation where it is you have meetings, virtual meetings, you have a walkthrough, you go back, you do virtual meetings again, and then you have practice, and then you're going back to your room. So you're spending the bulk of your time alone in your room. Now, guys are playing video games and, and they have the headsets and all that kind of stuff. I know a couple of guys were telling me that they've got somebody on the case to, to really amp up the bandwidth at the Renaissance hotel that they're, <laughs> that they're staying at, uh, trying to make some moves that way so that some of their video games run a little bit smoother. But that's the stuff that's really important. And Kyle Shanahan has hammered that point home with them. Hey, if you're not feeling right, if something's off, if you're feeling down, you're depressed, whatever, reach out to your teammates, make sure that the mental health aspect of this is being taken care of because it can get really lonely in that situation. And particularly as we get around the holidays. And, and that's it's just, but it's amazing what they've had to deal with as coaches because it's so much stuff outside the norm. And again, everybody's dealing with it, but injuries are a normal part of the year. Fans have seen it here. Maybe not to the extent that it's there as far as, but they've seen it here and similar. I think one guy that has seen it, saw it here and is now dealing with it out there is Trent Williams. What's, and he's had a difficult year because he had yeah. COVID as well. So what's yeah. what's been going on with him? Yeah, it's been an interesting season for him because, you know, it, it's funny. At the beginning of training camp, when we were actually allowed to watch practice, he was dominant right off the bat. It, you could see he had fresh legs. He looked like he hadn't missed a beat from the guy that we all knew and the guy that everybody saw there in Washington for so long. And then the game started, and there was a couple of moments to knock off rust. He had a couple of moments in the first few weeks that you're like, oh, that just it looks a little out of character. It doesn't look bad. He's still better than the vast majority of the tackles in the league, but had a couple, and it, that should have been expected, right? But he had set the bar so high with his play before this year and in training camp that everyone expected him to just come in and dominate. But since those first couple, maybe little bumps in the road, right, early in the season, he's been as dominant as ever, and he's been really good. The problem is, is that, the rest of the offensive line has been a little bit of a mess. Now their left guard situation is fine with Lake and Tomlinson, but that right side and center, the center has been a revolving door. And so I think people are looking, you know, when they zoom out and they see the whole line, they're saying, Oh, the 49ers line isn't playing very well. And that's true largely, but Trent Williams has been, you know, the main guy who's continued to perform, you know, week in and week out. And he is going to be their number one off season priority in terms of all the free agents that they have and trying to keep him what's what's has he talked much about what has he talked about past much or has he just tried to move forward there yeah i think you know he he he's just kind of focused on his situation here and um i i think that he's in a, in a spot at this point where uh you know i i just asked him last week actually about kind of his future if he if he views this as if he's settled in now and he's at the point where he's ready to say this is where he wants to be now of course Maybe the money won't work out. Maybe he'll get better offers, all those kinds of things. And he said yes. He said when he arrived, his plan was to make this his long-term home. But, you know, there's still a business part of this that's going to have to get taken care of and with the salary cap possibly going down and all those types of things that are still going to play into this. But I do think that their, their two top priorities in this offseason are going to be keeping Trent Williams and signing Fred Warner to a contract extension and then – you know, the quarterback thing is a whole other question that I'm, maybe you're going to want to get into here in a minute. But uh, I, I do think that the Trent Williams uh, is is 
has proved himself to be the guy they thought they were getting and a guy that they want to keep long-term. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, it, it certainly seemed like that's why he wanted to go out there in the first place is, is to join that organization, knew the coach, knew the system. And so when, when they got involved, I think it was a signal to them or to him or signal to me that that's clearly why, where he wants to be long-term. Um, another guy with a past mirrors, Kyle Shanahan. Did that last year get something out of his system or how does he still <laughs> hate this franchise as much as ever? I'm just, I'm taking a stab at it because we're recording this on Tuesday. We haven't talked to him yet this week, but uh, I, my guess is that he's still going to want to go ahead and win this game and potentially convincingly just knowing Kyle Shanahan, that would be uh, an educated yes. guess. Uh, yes. But I do think that, look, I think there was a little bit of something last year where he wanted to kind of get it over with and get a win and get out of there. That thing was a rain-soaked mess, as we all remember. And and the Niners did manage to win, but it wasn't convincing in, in any way. It was just get in and get out with a victory. So maybe he'll want to kind of push it a little bit more. But the situation that they're in right now, John, is they just need to be winning. They need to find a way to win. They they they, they have to win out to even have a chance, in my opinion, to get to the postseason. Um, and, and, and frankly, they need a win this week just to kind of continue to have something to play for. Because right. if you, you put yourself in your in their shoes and you're in Arizona for the rest of the season, you're away from your family and, and, and all that, and your friends, I, I imagine that would be really tough to kind of push through those final three weeks if you if you take a loss this week and you're pretty much out of the mix. Yeah, and I, I just wonder for him because he had such bitter feelings last year that I don't know that one year is going to change his mind. I do wonder if because it's really new, the owner is still there. The owner is still the same. That was all the same issues. But yeah. others who were there are are gone now, and so I wonder if that changes things for him. Um, and not, you know what? If you don't have Kittle and Garoppolo and all those guys, does it may not matter because he hated him before and they lost to him earlier. So, what right. is the quarterback situation with Garoppolo going forward? Do you think? Yeah, that's. I mean, it's going to be the big question going into the off season, and who knows how long it's going to carry on? Because I think there's, it, it's, it's. You know how you know how this is, John, in this line of work, and I understand it. You know, it, we've reached this point now where, especially with quarterbacks in the league, they're either a Hall of Famer or they're trash, and there's no in between. You know, there's got to be, <laughs> there's got to be like this. There and there really is this massive gray area where you can analyze and, and look at context and nuance and all those types of things. And evaluate these guys. And I think you've got, you know, a group of four or five quarterbacks who they raise all boats, right? Like they're so good that they can make any team look good. And, and you know, Russell Wilson is a primary example of that guy like that. And then, you know, there's guys who are legitimately bad starting quarterbacks. But then there's those guys, and I think Jimmy Garoppolo falls into this mix. I think Jared Goff is another one where, you know, if everything around them is pretty good, they can be pretty good. They're right. just not going to be that guy who carries a team. And so you have to figure out, can you – First of all, with, with Jimmy Garoppolo, I think there's a couple of things you have to look at. One is the money. Uh, he's going to, you know, his salary cap is hit is going to be $27 million each of the next two years. And two is injury. So put aside just for a second the performance factor and just focus on those two things. If he doesn't play another game this year, he'll miss 23 games over the last three seasons. And wow. that's a lot, first of all, just from an injury standpoint. And also, just it's a lot from a guy who's going to be taking up a lot of your salary cap space. So just from those two perspectives alone, I think the 49ers are going to have to go into this offseason and take a strong look at quarterback. Now, I don't necessarily mean that they're going to replace him. I think that's a possibility. But 
at least bring in maybe a second round pick or, you know, a first round pick because they're probably going to be picking a little later where they can't get one of those top guys. Theoretically, you could trade up, but they're going to have a lot of holes on their roster. And the big thing for me, John, is, you know, as you know, I've co- I covered the Rams for a long time. And when they had Sam Bradford, they drafted him in 2010. The next that year, they went seven and nine and they almost made the postseason. They almost won the division. That was the year Seattle won the division at eight and eight. And that he showed so much promise that they really believed in him. They thought they had their guy. And then he got injured the next year and the year after that and the year after that. And the Rams just kind of kept wishing and hoping that A, he was going to stay healthy and B, he was going to meet his potential. And when you do that at that position, you're just throwing, you're throwing entire seasons away and potentially regimes away uh, based on who the coach is. So I don't think Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are just going to sit on their thumbs this offseason. I think one way or the other, if Jimmy's there or Jimmy's not, there's going to be legitimate competition there for him, whether it's for somebody to push him for next year's job or make him more of a bridge quarterback who leads to the next guy. I am familiar with quarterback issues. <laughs> yes, I'm aware. I'm aware. I, so let me, let me close on this one too then. What does this defense still do well? No Nick Bosa, no D Ford. What do they still do well? Boy, it, you know, that Buffalo game really kind of laid bare what their issues are. And and this is a thing that is is really kind of relatable to, to Washington fans because when I when I turn on Washington and watch watch tape, their front four, and you and I talked about this when they with the whole Chase Young thing. This is there's a little bit of a pattern here doing building it similar to what the Niners did, where you're building up front and you have a dominant front four. You're starting to see some of that with Washington. At least that's what I see when I turn on the tape. When you get injuries, when you get banged up at that spot, and to the to the extent that the 49ers have, where you're missing your top two edge rushers, your number three uh, defensive tackle, and then a couple other you know valuable rotation guys, it really it kind of lays bare the issues that you have in the back seven. So what the Niners still do well to answer your question is they have two very good linebackers, off-ball linebackers, Fred Warner, who I mentioned earlier, Robert right. Sala, the defensive coordinator, will tell you. As long as he's got Fred Warner, he's at least got a chance. I think Warner's one of the top three middle linebackers in the league, and you're seeing that. So he's really the primary guy that is still playing at a high level. And then in the secondary, Jason Verrett has been a really good story. He's come back off of injury, has played pretty well. But the problem is when you don't have that pass rush and you want to play zone coverage as much as the Niners do, you have to be able to get pressure with your front four. And when you don't have that, it puts you in a bind where you're making that decision to say, okay, how can we generate pressure? And that usually means dialing up blitzes. Well, when you dial up blitzes, you know what that does. It means you're playing more man coverage, and the 49ers aren't built for that. So they don't necessarily have those options where they can play that man and dial up that pressure. So then you're just picking your poison. Are we going to play zone and let teams carve us up, you know, uh, death by a thousand paper cuts? Or are we going to play man, hoping we can hit enough big plays to cancel out the big plays that we're inevitably probably going to give up? And so that's kind of really the bind that they're in, particularly when they play teams that have good quarterbacks and good offensive lines where they can't generate pass rush with just that front four. And, and so that's kind of been their issue. But, uh, you know, Fred Warner, Jimmy Ward, a couple of guys who kind of kept them in the mix this year, and they've done a good job of mixing things up. But like I said, especially when they play teams they're not familiar with, I think they've gotten exposed a little bit. Great stuff, Nick. And I promise you, if you come on for a fourth time, you're getting some Lono coffee from me. I'll take some Lono coffee, but I, I, I want to be on the marquee with Nick Wagner or featuring or, you know, something like that, you know. I, that's a promise. I'll, I'll do All that. Right. Thank you. All right. Hey, thanks, man. You got it. 
That's it for this episode. Thanks to Nick Wagner for joining me, and thank you for listening. And yes, thank you to Lone Oak Coffee for their continued sponsorship. I'll be back with another episode after Sunday's game against the 49ers.